This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. How are you? Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. I wasn't here last week. We had the Memorial Day special. Uh, so, it's, so it's been far too long. Thanks for being here. So coming up, we're going to talk about the Trump rally that he had in San Diego last Friday. Uh, Salcedo was nice enough to uh, give me a chance to talk about it a second ago, but the San Diego Police Department did a masterful job in keeping everyone safe here. I'm looking at video of what happened in San Jose a couple days ago and people were not kept safe and people were attacked and people were assaulted and cars were surrounded, which is terrifying. Just imagine my wife in in one of these cars that's getting uh, kicked and windows getting banged on and shaken up and down. Um, it's terrifying. You're trapped. And the police weren't there. And I've seen a lot of reports on it. And and they're saying police were nowhere to be found. So it just makes me super grateful that the San Diego Police Department did such a great job last Friday. So I'll tell you all about that. Um, Oh, and all the way, tons and tons of video of it on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. A bunch of videos. We were there. We were there at the Trump rally at 9 a.m. We actually... Broad, so it was at the convention center. Trump spoke at the convention center, which is right downtown on the water. And across the street, uh, there's a hotel, uh, Hilton Gas Lamp. So we were on the top floor of this hotel on the balcony doing the show, doing my local show. And it was a perfect aerial view of everything, of the whole convention center, of all the, the protesters and coming in, and then all the rioters coming in and watching everything. And then me and my other, uh, the other local guy here in San Diego, we switched and I was down where everyone was until the very last person was arrested. The riot police came, did an incredible job, and I was standing right there with them. I'll explain this all later, but as they marched everyone back down to Barrio Logan, which is uh, where a lot of these rioters started, about a mile away from the convention center and arrested the very last person, and that was it, and kept everyone safe along the way. It was, it was masterful work. The only I – saw, I saw one pepper spray from a hand – like from uh, police officers, like uh, like a pepper spray, you would, you know, like a canister, a small canister. And then we saw pepper spray deployed um, more like, like, like being sprayed. <laughs> and then um, like a flamethrower came out like that. And then we were in line near the end when they were shooting um, basically like paintballs, but with pepper, uh, pepper spray in it. Right? So pop, 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 shoot like 10 of them at people and <laughs> then they arrest them. Uh, so we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, I guess we'll talk about the gorilla for a second. We have a video on Facebook about it. It's approaching 100,000 views. If you could go share that, that'd be awesome. Because we got to get the message out there that you shoot the gorilla every time. So we'll talk about that later too. But first, I got to start with this. Got to play this clip here. I heard this the other morning. 
It's fantastic. This is in response to the press conference that Donald Trump did where he was being questioned about veterans' money, right? Remember the money he raised by not doing the debate and all that? Remember a couple months ago? And this is the press conference where Trump called that ABC News reporter a sleaze. And the clutching of pearls from the media in response to that is hilarious. So I got to play this here. This is uh, CNN. The first guy you're going to hear is Mark Preston. He's the politics executive editor. And his whole argument, oh, it's a horrible move for Donald Trump to attack the press. A really, really bad strategy, Donald. And then you have Dana Bash, who goes on talking about the sanctity of the fourth estate in America, the media. And it's it's hilarious how the media has finally found their cojones. All of a sudden, the first voice you're going to hear here is here, here, here is Ashley Banfield. Enjoy. Mark, just so we're really clear, is this a liberal sided press that is attacking him on this vets issue and the money or is it broad and why the people who have come in asking questions about where's the money? Where did it go? How much was it? Is it true what you say every day on the campaign trail? Ashley, no question it is the latter and certainly not the former. Now, let's unpack this because this is a very complicated uh, situation where I think Donald Trump was in a position to capitalize on something Mm -hmm. and go very far with it. And in fact, he has uh, decided to take on the media, which is an absolute mistake because he doesn't want to necessarily do that. Donald Trump deciding to take on the media at this point because he doesn't feel like they are treating him well is actually not a very good strategy to the point the question was asked to him actually do you have a thick enough skin to run for president and he deflected on that question himself so as he said this is going to be a very long summer if he is going to be combative with the press whenever he's questioned on anything that he doesn't feel like answering one thing i, I will say in my answer to your question of mark uh, ashley about uh, whether or not it's a liberal thing to get questioned If Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or any other politician had a big rally and skipped a presidential debate and said, I'm going to do this because I'm going to raise money for veterans, you bet, you bet we would all be on top of them, Uh, particularly our investigative reporters like Drew Griffin at CNN. Right. Who follows Veterans Affairs like no other. Right. Right, What money did you raise? Where is it going? Give us the details. Veterans Affairs problems because of his dogged questions of the administration. It is not a liberal thing. It is the fourth estate. It is our job. And it is why the, the, a free press was a fundamental thing when our Constitution was created. This is yeah. the reason why. Oh, my God. I can't even. All right. Stop, 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 stop. Okay. Let's go backwards here. So you have Ashley Banfield and Dana Bash there celebrating their profession, their, their, their art form. The fourth estate. When's the last time you've heard anyone in the media call themselves members of the fourth estate? Are you kidding me? They've been asleep at the wheel the last seven years. And actually, even worse than asleep at the wheel, asleep at the wheel implies passiveness. They've been actively turning away from the truth for the last seven years. And now all of a sudden, oh, we are the we are the fourth estate. Oh, our, our founding fathers enshrined our profession in the Constitution. Wait, 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 where have you been? I love Banfield there saying, oh, listen, it's it's our tough questions of this administration, which has brought about such reform, our dogged questions, which have brought about reforms at the VA. The VA is now worse than before the scandal broke out of Phoenix. Listen to me, Banfield, worse. Wait times are longer than before the scandal broke. 
No one has been fired since that scandal. Where are you on that story, CNN? Tell you what, how about instead of your stupid counter in the bottom right-hand corner, letting us know to the second when your new special, the 80s, debuts, how about you put a little counter at the bottom of the screen that says, veteran suicides since scandal broke? Because that's what the whole VA scandal was all about, right? Well, the first one was about putting people on non-existent wait lists, which still happens. And then the second one was about how your VA is unbelievably unattentive to the suicide hotline at the VA. 22 veterans a day is about, I've seen numbers less, I've seen some numbers more. I talked to the VA whistleblower in Phoenix who said that number's too low. So let's just go with 22 veteran suicides a day. How about you put a little counter there, CNN? No? Oh, but your questions are so dogged. It's a dogged question in the fourth state. Unbelievable. And then Bash throws out this hypothetical. You know, if Hillary Clinton did something like this, of course, we'd ask her the same question. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. How many questions do you ask her about her emails? Now, now, listen, I, I, you do. You do bring it up from time to time. Hillary did an interview with CNN the other day, and, and sure, they bring up the emails. But I mean more than just asking her a question and then giving her a chance to vomit out her talking points of the day about the, like I'm, more than that. Like I guarantee you there's not a single reporter at CNN who has read the inspector general's report about her emails so that they can ask deeper questions. I'm certain no one has because if they did, then Hillary would throw out her talking point and then they would say, oh, well, actually on page 43 of the inspector general report it actually addresses what you just brought up. And it says that you're lying. So what do you say about this right here? And she'd say something and they say, oh, actually, you know, on page 46 of it or 56 of it, I read this. What do you think about this? There's none of that. There's no that questioning. Oh, but the fourth estate where we're the fourth estate. Give me a break. Now, the first guy who said it's a bad strategy for Trump to go after the press. Are you kidding me? Brother, wake up. You're in one of the most hated professions in the country. You're sandwiched right in there between telemarketer and student loan debt collector guy. Like, like no one likes you. No one respects you. I don't who like, <laughs> like I mean, when even when you go out with friends and you're like, oh, I'm the politics director at CNN. And is anyone like, oh, wow, here, take my chair. You just like, like everyone's like, oh, like stinks. No one trusts you. You are not esteemed. There's not a single person in this country who, after hearing Donald Trump call that ABC News reporter a sleaze, there's not a single person who said, oh. Did you hear what Donald Donald Trump is so harsh against the poor reporter? He's just trying to do his job. People are so tough on the press. They're so hard on reporters. And reporters are trying to do their job. Not a single person. Cry me river. Give me a break. From Donald Trump's perspective, there is no better group of people. There is no greater class of elite for him to go after than the media. Universally hated. I wish I, I could I just talk to the CNN guy for one minute and say, buddy, Trump is going to rip you to shreds for the next five months 
and people are going to cheer every second of it. <laughs> they will love it. Everyone will. Everyone. They will cheer him like the crowds cheered Maximus in the Roman Colosseum when he killed all the Roman soldiers. People will love it because you've gotten away with it for far too long. I could keep ranting, but I got to go. But I'll just end on this. This is the whole controversy about Katie Couric and her gun documentary. Documentary. What makes Katie Couric an authority on anything? At all. Like anything, let alone guns. The only reason people mistakenly think that Katie Couric and others are impressive is because they're on TV. They're famous. Celebrity. That's it. But there is no, they have no moral authority or intellectual credentials to lecture you about anything. But people still bow down to their wisdom like they're in a cult, like they're a cult member and the news anchors are the cult leaders. Stop paying attention to these clowns. Trump is going to ride all the way into the White House, I guarantee it. And his jet engine turbo booster packs is going to be every time he attacks the media. I've heard a bunch of Trump speeches. I don't know how many you've heard before, but again, he was in San Diego recently. And the first thing he did when he came out after, hey, San Diego, good to be here. The very first thing he did was his classic line of, look at look at this dishonest press. Look at them all here. Look at the dishonest media here. Blah, blah, blah. And everyone loves it. The CNN guy's like, oh, terrible strategy. <laughs> there is no greater strategy. And the fact that you don't see that proves how clueless you are. Oh, the, the fourth estate. The founding fathers enshrined us. Give me a break. 1-800-760-KF. Or excuse me, 1-800-933-93. Rant over. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Mike Slater. Uh, maybe I'm not done ranting. So, uh, producer Flip during the break said, "It's amazing that that CNN guy there doesn't even know how much his profession is hated." And when he said, "Oh, terrible strategy for Donald Trump to go after the press." <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Huh? It's just like. It's like his profession is ranked alongside like loan sharks as like, most beloved professions in America. You got your mind. And the truth is, CNN, you absolutely had a role in creating Donald Trump because you're so pathetic. And let me I want to speak to this. I'll give you a very personal example. Just last Friday, again, Donald Trump was in town and I got a media pass because I work for the local radio station. 
So we sign up uh, and we get credentials and it's just this piece of paper it says media on it and it gives us access to everything. So while thousands of people have to wait in line to go into the convention center, I just walk right in, just walk right in. And I love it. You walk up to uh, to one of the doors and one of the police officers, whoa, whoa, sir, 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 gentlemen, you, you can't go in here. You have to go to the back. Flash the media path. Oh, oh, sorry, gentlemen, sorry. Uh, actually, you can go back in this entrance over here. Oh, thank you. You go in the side media entrance and you see all the people going through the security and all the rest, like cattle. Oh, sir, you're in the media. Here, come back here. We have a uh, cheese platter for you. Would you like some anything to drink? Oh, sir, I'll take some cubed cheese. No problem. Right? You get an ego about that. You can't not. It's like when you get a back. Have you ever had a backstage pass at a concert? Right? You feel kind of cool. These press people think they're so special because of that. They think they're so impressive, so essential, so powerful. So then they, when you're in the Trump event, they put you in this, uh, this, this area right in the front, in the middle front. And all the press people think they're so impressive here in the uh, media section. And Donald Trump is the first politician ever to be like, hey, everyone, look at these people in the pen right there. Oh, look at them, the lying media, so dishonest, right? Yeah, those people deserve to get knocked around a little bit. Because the truth is the people that are in this cordoned off area are not that special. We're not that impressive. I hate being in that cordoned off area. I'd rather go get outside of there and be with regular folk. It's amazing, though, that you you get an ego about it. If you're not careful, you get an ego about that. Glenn Reynolds. So anyway, that's why these that's why these people are so clueless. Because, oh, the media. I always get treated so special. Well, you shouldn't, really. Glenn Reynolds had a great article the other day. Great headline. The headline was, why the president needs to be a white, needs to be white, male, and Republican. Why the president needs to be white, male, and Republican. And you you hear the headline, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's super racist and sexist and bigoted. We need a white guy to be our president? So you read the article. His point is that the media hasn't done their job for seven years. So it's going to take someone they hate, namely a white, male, Republican, for them to remember how to do their jobs. And that's why we were all laughing so much when Dana Bash says, oh, we are the fourth estate. When's the last time you've heard anyone use the term fourth estate? What what the heck? Producer Flip was saying like eighth grade social studies class, but all of a sudden they're, oh, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will never hear the word constitution used more when Donald Trump is president in your entire life. It, it, all you're going to hear about is the Constitution. Nancy Pelosi is going to be handing out pocket constitutions all of a sudden. Harry Reid will suddenly be supremely concerned with separation of powers. <laughs> it's going to be great. It'll, it'll be like all the Democrats graduated from Hillsdale College all of a sudden. So what's it going to take to get the media to do their job? Yeah, a white male Republican. Because the last seven years, with their savior and darling in the White House, they've totally turned the other way. Now, the truth is, I don't want a president to get away with imperial powers and with executive orders. 
And as our president has done, redefining words in laws in order to get his way with them. I don't want those done, even when it's done by someone on, quote unquote, our team. I don't want it. I hope the media snaps out of it and holds Trump accountable when he's president. I will. Hope we all will. He gets no passes because he's under the Republican umbrella. We're under the truth umbrella. Much more important. Coming up next, we'll talk about this stupid gorilla. 1-888-900-3393. And then we'll put this to bed once and for all. I'll just give you the gist of it. You shoot the gorilla every single time. We'll do that next. Mike Slater, show the Plays Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. over with um obviously this whole thing's so stupid but i do think it's important to talk about because it's a sign of a larger failing in our society so a couple things i got to get out first i have no problem loving animals obviously no problem loving animals but i have a major problem when we love animals more than humans so this gorilla situation is so simple yes the parents Shouldn't have let the baby fall down in the enclosure to be with the gorilla. (laughs) Obviously, let's move past that one. Obviously, this whole situation is less than ideal. But if you've ever had a kid, you know that it takes a split second for a kid to run away and run out of reach. I was talking to a buddy the other day as a three-year-old. He said uh, the other day he was in the mall and he was in a lids. They have lids across the country like a hat store. So the dad put a hat on. Looked in the mirror, turned around. His three-year-old was gone. Ran out the store to see where he went. He was three stores down eating a cookie. <laughs> the dad said, where'd you get the cookie? First of all, how did you, like, what are you, you Usain Bolt? Like, how did you get down here so fast? And how, what, did you buy a cookie somehow? Like, what happened? It takes a split second for a kid to get away. Okay. Second point, I obviously don't want a gorilla dead in a normal circumstance, I, I'm glad gorillas exist. I am pro-gorilla. Okay, I don't want the gorilla dead. Just in a normal day, I want it to be alive. Third point, I wish tranquilizers were a viable option. But everyone's saying that it would take too long to go into effect. And it would make the gorilla angry and then put the kid in more harm. I love it. I've had so many people tell me, Slater, they should have a more powerful tranquilizer. And, and I want to say, well... First of all, that's called a bullet. But second of all, sure, but that doesn't exist. So what are we doing? (laughs) I love that phone call. I've got a few of them. Slater, they need a more powerful tranquilizer. No, you know what they really need are leprechauns who can run into the cage real quick and snatch the kid away before the grill even knows what. Like, those don't exist either. What What are you talking about? I also think they should have unicorn rides at the zoo for kids. Like, that'd be really fun, too, if we're going to keep talking about things that don't exist. So, so stop. Like, get that out of your head. Doesn't exist. There is no such thing as an instant tranquilizer. So get, it, get rid of it. Not an option. So in reality world, 
we're left between shooting this gorilla or the gorilla crushing the baby's skull as easily as you can crush a Coke can. Like it's, it's, so what do you do? You choose the human every time. You shoot the gorilla every time. Period. And anyone who doesn't think so, if you're still listening now after a week of thinking about this and you still think that they shouldn't have shot the gorilla, you jump in the gorilla pen. <laughs> Go ahead. I dare you. Jump in the gorilla enclosure. I'll stand on the other side of the gate. I'll stand on the other side of the bars with a gun. I'll time you. Okay? You jump in, start the clock. I'll time you. See how long it takes for you until you beg me to shoot and kill the gorilla. I don't know how long it will take because it depends how far away the gorilla is from you. But I'm confident that it will take about 0.3 seconds from the moment the gorilla touches you before you scream bloody murder for me to kill that gorilla. Okay? So here you are. Say, oh, well, I would never shoot the gorilla. Mm. Pretty sure if you were that three or whatever year old child it was, you would change your tune real fast. People holding vigils for the gorilla. If the baby was killed, no one would bat an eye. That's what's so messed up about it. So I want to read this here. This is in the name of, or you can file this under, there's nothing new under the sun. So Plutarch was an uh, ancient Greek historian. And he wrote this in one of his books. Um, I will change the language here a little bit to make it, make it more easier to understand. Uh, Caesar, this is like year 40, he wrote this. Caesar Augustus once seeing some wealthy strangers at Rome, right? So there's some women, women visitors from a different town in Rome, carrying up and down with them in their arms and bosoms, young puppy dogs and monkeys embracing and making much of them. Augustus asked whether the women in their country had children. So they were they were making so much of these puppies and monkeys and loving them so much and doting on them so much that it caused Caesar Augustus to say, "Well, what is it with those women? Do they do like do they have kids in the town that they're from? Do they do they have human beings there, or are they just what are they doing?" Augustus, reflecting upon persons who spend and lavish upon brute beasts. That affection and kindness which nature has implemented in us to be bestowed on those of our own kind. In other words, shoot the gorilla every time. Love and affection should be lavished on human beings. Again, this was in the year like 40. I will never forget. This was about, when was it? Maybe four years ago. I was listening to a radio station, talk radio station. And there were two stories at the top of the hour in the local news. And the first one was three people shot in, I forget, home invasion or whatever. Three people, mother, mother, father, and child shot, killed by home invasion. Second story. Puppy found on side of road 
with injured back legs or so. And the people on the radio during the newscast, which you never really chime in on newscast. During, oh my gosh, that's horrible. The wait, the puppy, the puppy was found on the side of the road with an injured back leg. Both of the back legs. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Can we set up a fund? Is there is there like a rescue fund we can set up to help the puppy? And I'm like, holy cow! The the story right before it was human beings were killed. Like ah, whatever. Amazing, amazing how confused we are. So they did a study a long time ago, not that long ago, a couple, like a decade ago. And they had people read four fake news stories about a crime in Boston. And everything about the story was the same except for the victim. And in, in some of the news stories, the victim was a puppy. In some, it was an adult dog. In some, it was a baby, human. And in others, it was an adult, human. And after these people read the four stories, they did some tests to measure their emotional distress. The lowest amount of emotional distress after reading these stories where the victim died, the lowest amount of emotional stress was the adult human. Like people cared about that the least. The human being who could be, it's the exact same story, but so it could be a mother, father, grandfather. Someone's son, someone's husband, why? Like, like, bah, whatever. No one cares. The highest emotional distress was the human baby, but right behind was the puppy. Now, one could conclude that it's not so much the species that people are you know, so concerned about as much as the innocence and defenselessness of the baby and the puppy compared to the adult dog and the adult human. That's, who, that's why we feel most bad for the baby and the puppy. Maybe. But maybe you'll remember this video we did, I guess a year or so ago. This was when Cecil the Lion was a big deal. So we went to a beach here in San Diego, and we asked people if there was a bus flying down the street out of control can't stop and there's a human and a dog in the way and you can only save one of them which do you save now i'm going to ask that to you right so bus coming down the street you can only save the human or the dog which do you save now everyone should be able to answer that question correctly immediately and there is a correct answer this is not like well the beauty's in the no no there's a correct answer there's a right answer you save the human every single time Without a doubt, without question, without hesitation, without remorse, you save the human, period, end of sentence, and then the dog dies and you say, oh, that stinks, but at least I saved the human. Like, that's period, that's the correct response. Now, let me change the terms. Uh, The person is a foreign tourist, and the dog is your dog. It turns out when they did this study a while back, 40% of people said they would save their dog. Over a human being. And I'm just going to come out. That is the wrong answer. So last year we went to the beach here in San Diego and we asked people what they would do. Here it is. We didn't edit any of this, by the way. We didn't edit a single person out of this. Here it is. So if a bus was hurtling down the street and it was going to hit either a foreign tourist or one of your dogs and you could only save one, which would you save? 
my dog. <laughs> and you can only save one. Who do you save? I gotta save my dog, Butterball. My dog. I gotta save my dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> my dog. Either a foreign tourist or Molly. Who do you save? Molly. <laughs> what do you think the human would say? Well, they would be hit. What, what country? My dog, obviously. French tourist. French tourist, yes, to Molly. Even though it's a human, but my dog's part of the family, so. So if it was a distant cousin or your dog, who would you choose? The I bus is coming real fast, buddy. Okay, uh, I guess I would say, uh, maybe, maybe the cousin, yeah. What about the human? I'd make an attempt for him right after Stewie. Good. Either a foreign tourist or Waldo, and you can only save one. Who do you save? Definitely Waldo. Not a not a question. Why? What, wait. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> Which do you say? Foreign foreign tourist. Easy. A distant cousin or your dog? Oh no 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 no! I'm sorry. I would rather save my dog than the foreign tourist. Probably the dog, because a distant cousin, I probably don't know him as well as I know my dog. What if it was your best friend or the dog? I hate to say it, but the dog. What if it's a distant cousin? Nah. Best friend or Molly? Teresa. <laughs> wow, do we she can save herself. <laughs> either a foreign tourist or foster, and you could only save one, who do you save? The foreign tourist. Why the tourist? Because I'm about, I'm, I like human life. Do you love your dog? Yeah. And you would still choose the human? Yeah. Can I give you a hug, sir? Okay. <laughs> well, two morals of the story today. One, I think humans and their dogs kind of end up looking alike. And two, if you're about to get hit by a bus, make sure there's not a dog standing next to you because more likely than not, someone's going to save the dog. That video is on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. It's the third video down right now. Um, we didn't edit any of that. We asked 50 people and only one guy said they'd save the person. <laughs> so those people, those, they're wrong. There's no, there's no opinion here. They're, they're wrong. You save the human being every time. No questions asked. No hesitation. 1-800-988-900-3393. I just quoted uh, Plutarch a second ago. I want to come back and quote Socrates uh, just to drive this point home. We also have another video. Um, the first video you see on our Facebook page is uh, pretty much some of the arguments we've, we've just made here um, in video Facebook form. And it's got 70,000 views and it's got 996 shares. So if you share it, uh, it'd be awesome if you could be our thousandth share. That'd be pretty cool. So you can go to, I would appreciate that a lot. So again, search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook and spread the word. Mike Slater show, spread the word. Mike Slater on the blaze radio network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. So in the last segment, we talked about Plutarch, ancient Greek historian talking about Augustus Caesar. 
Got another ancient example here, and both of these examples are on that video on our Facebook page. Uh, in Plato's The Republic, Socrates talks about all the things that, um, all the ways that you can tell if you're living in a late stage democracy right before it turns into a tyranny. Or, 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 so democracy ultimately devolves into tyranny. So how can you tell you're right at that stage that's ripe for tyranny? That's, that's what part of the, this part is about. Um, so there's a couple different th- things you can tell. One is when fathers act like children. Another is when students insult and disrespect their teachers. And a third is when animals are regarded as equal to humans. So here we are. Now, it can get even worse. Peter Sanger is a moral moral philosopher. He's a professor at Princeton. And whenever the New York Times needs an ethicist's point of view, they always go to this guy. And he was asked if the house is burning down and you could save either a baby or a pig, which would you save? And he said, why should all members of the species Homo sapiens have a right to life, life and other species not? This idea arises only out of our religious heritage. The idea that we were created in the image of God and God has given us dominion over the animals and that we have immortal souls, right? So you can see where this ends up. If we don't all agree, you shoot the gorilla. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. Hope you're having a great weekend. Um, I want to read this editorial here, parts of it, from Richard Fernandez. I love it when someone makes an argument that has a big theme and then throws in lots of random examples or seemingly random examples, right? Most people will see them as random, but we're smart. You're smart. So you can see how they're all connected. Glenn does that a lot, obviously. So last month, a teenager in India shot himself with his dad's gun accidentally when he was posing for a selfie. Posing for a selfie with his, with a gun, accidentally pulled the trigger, killed himself. And it turns out dying when taking selfies is way too common. There's an entire Wikipedia page full of stories of people dying when taking selfies. Just last week, there was a man in China who was trying to take a selfie with a walrus at the zoo. And the walrus drowned him. And then a zookeeper went to go try to save him, and the walrus drowned the zookeeper. And I guess, like, I guess it's a thing in places for kids to take selfies on railroad tracks, on train tracks, when the train's coming. And then you get out of the way as quickly as possible, or as close as possible to the train before you get hit. And you take a selfie at the last possible second. The train often wins.
Now, in light of the gorilla situation, which we talked about last segment, there's a review of gorilla enclosures in zoos all across the country because you can never be too safe, they say. You can't be too safe. Every possible failure must be guarded against and prevented. Let me say that one more time. This is important. Every possible failure must be prevented and guarded against. So now they're going to put a taller barrier between people and gorillas. They're going to put an enclosure on the top of the gorilla uh, and, and pen. They're going to put the gorillas further away, all because one time a kid was able to crawl in. One time. All the zoos all across the country, all the people, all the kids who walk by the gorilla exhibit, one time one falls in, and that means we've got to change everything now. So pretty soon you're going to go to a zoo, and the gorillas are going to be way off in the distance. You've got to bring binoculars in order to see the gorilla. You're going to go to the gorilla enclosure and say, where are the gorillas? Oh, I think, I think I see one. No, it's just a rock. No, it's just a rock. I don't, I don't know where the gorillas are. All because one kid fell into the gorilla enclosure. But you got to do it because, you know, you just can't be too safe. I'll give you another example. The president has ordered the Department of Defense and Homeland Security to work on making smart guns. That's right, smart guns. So a smart gun is a gun that will only work when you use it, when you fire it, when you pull the trigger, and will only work when necessary. This is impossible. But the goal here with smart guns is to make it so that no one can ever accidentally shoot themselves while posing for a selfie. For instance. New Jersey now is passing a law that criminalizes walking while distracted because so many people are texting and crossing the street and getting hit by cars. So they're going to make that against the law. If I can quote from Mr. Fernandez, he said, once upon a time, it was understood that a certain degree of skill was necessary to survive upon the earth. And the role of society was to provide people with those skills. Right, the skills you need to survive. But today, the emphasis is on reducing every possible source of danger so that people with greatly reduced skills can safely live upon it. The expression we use on the show a lot when it comes to raising children is, we used to prepare the child for the way, but now we prepare the way for the child. Right, used to raise the child to be self-sufficient and to be able to talk to adults and to be able to uh, not procrastinate and to be able to understand the importance of studying and asking for help before a test so that if they don't understand the material, they don't fail the test and all the rest. But we don't do that anymore. Now, kids in college fail the test. And parents call the professors begging them to raise their child's grade in college. Okay, that's an example of preparing the way for the child. And you hear all these stories now of parents going on job interviews with their kids. That's preparing the way for the child as opposed to having raised the child 
of the way. Same thing colleges today. It's all about safe spaces and all the rest. Instead of an education system that teaches kids how to survive in the real world, we teach kids to demand safe spaces. See the difference there? Now, the problem with this is when it comes to safety, this makes a less safe world. We're raising kids to not have basic survival skills. And I don't mean like, you know, how to start a fire in the wilderness without matches, but I mean, yes, (laughs) but I'm just talking about like looking people in the eye and how to have a conversation. We're not preparing children for the way. So why does all this matter? Slater, where are you going? Bring it together. Let's take Hillary's emails. The latest excuse, and there's a new one every week. The latest excuse is that Hillary Clinton knew how to work her personal email account before she was Secretary of State, right? She had her her personal email and she knew how to use it. And then when she became Secretary of State, she had to change her method of emailing to something different and she couldn't figure it out things changed you needed a password for this and that and it was a new program and i just can't figure it out so now this isn't true by the way this is just what they're saying so she says she ordered someone to set up her server her own personal server so that she didn't have to change the way that she's always emailed and john podesta clinton supporter said Had Hillary Clinton known of any concerns about her email setup at the time, she would have taken steps to address them. I love that. It's the, if she only knew, if she only knew that this wasn't allowed, oh my God, then she would have, of course she wouldn't have. Now here's the rub. If there were a terrible foreign policy disaster, That resulted because, let's say, the Russians hacked into her unsecure server. It wouldn't have been her fault. The system would have failed her. The system, because the system didn't tell her that it was illegal. The system didn't tell her it was unwise. Or or the system was too complicated for her. So it wouldn't have been her fault. It would have been the system's fault. In other words, Clinton forced the the Department of uh, the State Department to adjust to her as opposed to her adjusting to the State Department. See that there? She forced the State Department to adjust to her as opposed to her adjusting to the State Department. Just a small example of how in our society today, We expect the world to adjust to us. And how dare you ever suggest that I adjust to the world in any way. It's a nice little sign of our narcissistic times. And I'll never forget a couple weeks ago, I was talking about narcissistic personality disorder on my my local show and, and went through all the different ways that narcissism exists in our world. What is narcissism? how you can tell if you or someone else is narcissistic and, and, and how it applies. And we had a psychologist call in and said a couple of years ago, the American psychology department who puts the list of disorders together every couple of years and they run through them every couple of years to see what they can change or amend or whatever. They thought they had a serious conversation about taking narcissistic personality disorder off the list of disorders 
because everyone has it. <laughs> and because in order to be a disorder, it has to disrupt from your normal ability to function. Now, narcissism in the past would affect your normal ability to function. But not anymore because we've changed the culture so much to accommodate for previously unthinkable amounts of narcissism. So they thought about taking narcissism off the list of personality disorders because in order to be a disorder, it has to be rare and it has to be has to hinder your normal life. But if everyone has it and culture has changed to accommodate for narcissism, then it's no longer a disorder. <laughs> Is that crazy? All right, I'll just put a cherry on top. We'll end here. Sugarland, Texas. Do you see this? Sugarland, Texas built a statue outside their city hall. Now, think about this. What if, if you could build a statue, or if you a statue is going to go up in your town, what would you want the statue to be of? Um, I mean, we've for centuries we've made incredible statues in human history, statues of great men, statues of biblical figures. I was. Uh, in Italy recently, and we saw Michelangelo's David for the first time. It was amazing. Uh, my brother lives in London. We went to go visit him, and, and in Trafalgar Square is not far from where he lives, named after a great naval battle led by, led by Commander Horatio Nelson. So at the top of the spire in the middle of the square is a statue to Commander Nelson, and just about 100 yards away is a statue of George Washington. And not only that, but the, the dirt that the statue is on top of is dirt from Mount Vernon so that George Washington is still on American soil way over in England. But again, amazing men, right? That that's who we've always built statues of. But today in America, that statue in Sugarland, Texas is of two teenage girls doing a sorority squat, which is just like the quarter squat. With one girl holding out her phone, taking a selfie. So in all of human history, we make statues of great men. And today in America, we make statues to teenage girls taking selfies. What? one 933 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater slider crusaders i want to talk about fantasy for a second here we talked about the gorilla in the last hour and uh, i got a lot of phone calls from people who say slider uh they should have a stronger tranquilizer they should have used a stronger tranquilizer. it's like well yeah but but that doesn't exist <laughs> someone someone wrote me an email and said they should have an instant tranquilizer i'm like yeah that's first of all it's called a bullet but second they don't so like what do you i don't know what you want like that doesn't exist it's fantasy you're you're complaining about something people did in reality and what you're proposing can only happen in fantasy so 
I don't know what you want me to do with this. You can't say that the zoo should have done something that doesn't exist. In the last segment, we talked about how the president wants smart guns. Guns that can only be shot based on your fingerprint. And that's a terrible idea. And it's impossible. Go um, get your hands wet, wash your hands, and then try to use your iPhone. It doesn't work. The fingerprint part doesn't work when your finger's wet. So if someone's coming in, coming at you, and you want to use your gun, you're going to get a little sweaty and the fingerprint won't work. So like this, the horrible, horrible idea and impossible. Now the fantasy doesn't stop about future things. I, I mean, I, I take this opportunity every, every time I can just to let you know how crazy things are here in California. In California, if you want to sell, if you're a gun company, like a gun manufacturer, and you want to sell a new gun design, in California, you have to get it approved by the state. And the state will only approve it if your gun has the ability to micro-stamp. So micro-stamping is when you fire a gun, an individual number is instantly etched into the side of the bullet, onto the bullet shell. So when the shell falls to the ground of a crime scene, police can pick it up, read the number on it, and then trace it back to you. Now... Looking past the obvious that someone could steal your gun or go to a gun range and sweep up the bullets and scatter them from a, on a crime scene, the technology of instantly etching a number into a bullet as it's fired is absurdly impossible. That, that does not exist. But the law in California says that if you want to be able to sell a new model of gun in California, it has to be approved by the state. And the only way it's going to get approved is if it has that technology. But that technology doesn't exist. So that's why there's no new gun models sold in California. Because you can't get it approved unless it has micro-stamping. But micro-stamping doesn't exist. Isn't that wild? Unbelievable fantasy. Now, the main, big problem with this that story about micro-stamping is if a gun, let's say Glock comes out with a new model that's safer, whatever that means, right? Less likely to uh, unintentional fire or whatever. They can't sell it in California because it doesn't also have micro-stamping. So even though it's a quote-unquote safer gun, it doesn't have micro-stamping, so it can't be sold. So gun stores in California are only able to sell the older models that are grandfathered in, that are less safe. So anyway, that's one among other problems. But it's a big problem when fantasy clashes with reality. Now, if you really want to go a little deeper, like what is socialism if not fantasy? I mean, sure, it may sound good. Now, I don't think socialism even sounds good. I'm not even going to cede that much to a socialist supporter. Isn't that interesting? Notice that, like, a lot of people will say, yeah, listen, socialism sounds good, but it's really not. In pre- no, I don't even think it sounds good. <laughs> I'm not even going to give you that much. I think it sounds bad. Even if it were implemented correctly, I think it sounds bad. But we know that in real life, it's very bad. Ends in disaster, just ask anyone in Venezuela. You know, Bernie Sanders was interviewed by Univision the other day. What he thinks about Venezuela and the complete collapse of their country a country that should be one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And he said, oh, you know, I'm running my own campaign. I, 
No, no comment. And the reporter said, you have no opinion? And Bernie Sanders said, no, I have an opinion. I'm just focusing on my own campaign. In other words, how dare you try and burst people's bubble on what I'm trying to sell them? How dare you add a dose of reality to the fantasy that I'm peddling? Fantasy and reality. Don't get caught up in fantasy land. You know, Bernie's in California. He's going to be in California. He has been all week. Will be until Tuesday when we vote here. And the other day he criticized Disney. He said Disney's an example of a rigged economy and they're not paying people enough money and they don't build factories in America, and blah, blah, blah. So the CEO of Disney wrote, wrote, wrote a letter to Bernie, which I think is the third CEO to rebuke Bernie after Bernie attacks them. And he says, Bernie, we created 11,000 new jobs at Disneyland in the past decade. And our company's created 18,000 jobs in the United States in the last five years. How many jobs have you created? What have you contributed to the U.S. economy? I love that line. And of course, the answer is nothing. Politicians never do. But it's just adding a dose of reality to Bernie's fantasy. Now, I said that they're fantasy peddlers. I want to go even worse. I think they're poison peddlers. They're peddling poison to people and everyone laps it up. They're selling them fantasy and it's destructive. I just don't know how much longer people are going to keep buying it. I want to come back. I got one more example of fantasy. The governor of California says we're going to go on a road diet. A road diet. What is that? Tell you all about it next. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Road diet next. Blaze Radio. Spread the word. Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Slater. Happy Saturday. So the other day I was talking to a professor at Berkeley who wrote a book. She's been following the Oakland Bay Bridge project since 1992. And it is the craziest story how much of an absolute failure the Oakland Bay Bridge is. Let me build up to it. First, let me go back a step. So Larry Summers, who was Clinton's Treasury Secretary, then he was president of Harvard, and now he, or most recently, he was Obama's, one of Obama's advisors. He wrote an editorial just the other day in the Boston Globe or something about a bridge in Cambridge that was built in 1912, and it took 11 months to build. So 100 years later, in 2012, they decided to do some repairs. It's taken four years, still no end in sight. It was supposed to cost $20 million, and now it's at $27 million and counting. So Larry Summers, of all people, is asking this question, like, what the heck is wrong with us? General Patton built 40 times as much bridge in six months as this one bridge in Cambridge during World War II, 40 times as much bridging in only six months. And we can't even restore a bridge that was built 100 years ago in four years. What is wrong with us? Here, let me quote from him. He says, um, he says, how, we ask, could our society have regressed to the point where a bridge that could be built in less than a year, one century ago, 
takes five times as long to repair today? Good question, Larry. And I got a little follow-up question for you. Why should I give you another dime of my hard-earned money until you can not only answer your question, but resolve it? And by resolve, I mean be able to repair a bridge in six months. You figure that out, you accomplish that, and then I'll be a cheerful giver to you and your politicians. But, okay, I don't want to be too negative. Good step. I'm glad you're asking the question. I like that. I appreciate that. But now solve it. Like Answer it yourself. Solve it. Then I won't, then we could talk about, you know, I'll be a cheerful giver and I won't mind paying my taxes. Not saying I'm going to want to give you more, but at least I know that the money's being spent efficiently. Right now it's not. There's a, a pedestrian bridge by uh, our, our uh, baseball stadium downtown San Diego. Just a pedestrian bridge. It goes over a couple train tracks. It was supposed to cost $12 million, which in and of itself is insane. It ended up costing $27 million. $27 million. The Bay Bridge. Let me go back to the Bay Bridge. Started in 1992. Two, I believe it was. The original estimate, $250 million. Ended up costing $6.5 billion. <laughs> 20 years took to build it. Are you with me? Are you following me? 20 years. Went from $250 million to $6.5 billion. The Golden Gate Bridge took three years to build. This took 20 years and it's falling down. They did such a horrible job. It's, it's all rusting and, and, and breaking and cords are breaking. It's all, it's like the most poorly built bridge in the country. It took 20 years. What's going on? All right, let me do one more quote here of uh, Larry Summers. <clears throat> and then I want to bring it back to fantasy. I'm a progressive, Larry Summers says. But it seems plausible to wonder if government can build... Uh, If a government can build a nation abroad, fight social decay, run schools, mandate the designs of cars, run health insurance exchanges, or set proper sexual harassment policies on college campuses if it can't even fix a 232-foot bridge competently. Michael Brown in 2010 wrote an editorial about uh, a bridge repair in D.C. that took years but from the top of the bridge, when you're sitting in traffic because of all the construction, you can see the Pentagon off in the distance, which is the world's largest office building. It was built in 18 months. Now, let me that like that's that's incompetency, that's ineptness, that's corruption. But I want to kick up the fantasy a notch to something that's even worse than all that. So those stories I just shared are in D.C. and Massachusetts, and that's bad. But California is even worse because California has all the ineptness and all the corruption, but we have environmentalist wackoism on top of it. We have a whole new level of fantasy on top of all that. Our governor, Brown, just released a proposed road diet. 
So just keep keep an eye on this because Cal- so when I used to live in Tennessee, I would always pay attention to California news because California was our crystal ball of what's coming next for the rest of the country. So be on the lookout for a road diet. The goal here is to stop all efforts to expand or even improve roads. Why? Because it's bad for the environment for you to drive. So the goal, as stated, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is the goal, as stated, is to make traffic congestion so unbearable that people have to use public transit. The goal is for you to say, I can't sit in traffic for two and a half hours a day, every day. I I guess I'm going to take the bus or I guess I'm going to take the trolley now. Which no one has ever said. At least I can't say where I live in San Diego because the trolley doesn't go where I live and it doesn't go where I work and it doesn't go to the grocery store. But the goal here is to make it so you have no other choice. Now in the past, I mean, I'll be more specific. Jerry Brown, our governor now, he was the governor in the early 70s and his dad was the governor uh, before then. In Jerry Brown's dad's day, the goal of government was to make it easier for you to live the life you wanted to live. I.e., they decided to build reservoirs so you can have water and roads so that you can drive places. Jerry Brown's dad was the first governor to do these giant infrastructure projects with water and roads. Now, the goal is to make you live the life they want you to live. Which means government created water shortage and a road diet to make your life miserable. For your own good. Isn't that amazing? And the left, they, they don't... They're so... Self-righteous. That they don't even care... That... If you're sitting in traffic longer... Because they're not going to build any more roads... Or expand the roads or whatever... If you sit in traffic longer, that means that you're emitting more greenhouse gases. And people are going to move to places in the country where they don't have as strict regulations and they're going to drive more or what? I mean, it's just, it's insane, but they don't care about that because it's all about virtue signaling to the world about how green we are here in California. Even if it hurts the environment, it's, it's so, it's so stupid. Now here's why this really hurts people take a family who wants to has a job and sends their kids to a school nearby okay they have a job nearby and they send their kids to a school nearby but let's say there's another job offer that they get that's another 20 miles down the road and the school that their kids go to now is terrible but there's a better school another 20 miles down the road those things are no longer options on our road diet because 20 miles down the road is another hour and a half drive. And it really is in LA and some other California cities. So the parents are going to be stuck at a lower paying job because it's closer to their home and their kids are stuck at a worse performing school because it's closer to their home. So you're taking away choice from people because we're on a road diet. So great work, Jerry Brown. Great work. So Larry Summers, he says Massachusetts is bad. And he's saying 
that that's reason enough to make people not trust government, which is great. And I love that he's come to that conclusion. But what's going on in California is even more insidious than that. It's a whole next, it's a whole nother level of fantasy. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, we'll rebuild this bridge, but it's going to be a hundred times more expensive than we said it is. And it's going to take another 10 years before we're done. Like that's bad enough. But it's another thing here in California when they say we are ideologically opposed to making your life better. We are ideologically opposed to building this bridge because we don't want you to drive. Like, like, uh, how do you overcome that? I'll end on this. L.A., in the last decade or so, has spent $16 billion on a rail system. $16 billion to expand the rail line, and ridership has decreased in the last 10 years. $16 billion fewer people are riding it, and L.A.'s response is to keep spending more. They're like, we, we haven't spent enough. Why do, why do people keep voting for these clowns? I don't get it. But that's their new plan. Make your life worse so that you will be forced to abide by their plan for your life. That's the road diet in California. Beautiful. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, how are you? Um, just, I just want to drive on this ideology that exists now or the understanding of this ideology that exists that's preventing people from doing good things like it's, it's unbelievable how this is let me tell you the story and then it'll make more sense I'll be able to collect my thoughts headline Washington Post the world is about to install 700 million air conditioners 700 million air conditioners. There's only 330 million Americans. So 700 million air conditioners. Here's what that means for the climate. And I've read that. I said the climate. The the climate that matters here is that it's 130 degrees in India. The roads are melting. It's so hot. It's oppressively hot inside people's homes. People are dying. It's so hot. Let them have an air conditioner. (laughs) Right? Have you ever lived in the South or been in the South or somewhere where it's oppressively hot and maybe the AC's broken for an hour. Okay. It's 120 something degrees in India right now. It's that hot. You can't do anything. It's hard to think. Let alone work or do anything productive. You just have to be still. You just get a move and then you're sweating. It's gross. And you're living in filth. Let people have an air conditioner. Now, it's amazing that capitalism has has lifted so many people out of poverty so quickly around the world that people are now able to afford an air conditioner. It's amazing that 
people are able to buy 700 million air conditioners. That's a, an amazing achievement of, of capitalism, that air conditioners are so inexpensive and that people are, have enough money to buy some. So it's great news that people can buy some air conditioners. But this is the part that makes me so mad. It's the first worlders who have had air conditioning their entire lives typing on their computers in their fancy D.C. offices. By the way, Washington, D.C. used to be oppressively hot. It used to be a miserable swamp. The mosquitoes were unbearable when it became our nation's capital. Everyone hated it. But now it's a pretty pleasant place. So you have these people working at the Washington Post basking in their air-conditioned world, pondering what the effects will be on the planet if families literally dying of heat in India get an air conditioner. Are are you with me on how, um, I know that was a little wordy, but are you with me on how unbelievably arrogant that is? Wow, it's going to be really, like this article, whoever wrote this, it would mean something to me if they never used air conditioning. Then they could be like, oh my gosh, more air conditioning around the world. This is horrible. But no doubt in my mind, they have air conditioning in their apartment and they have air conditioning in their office and they have air conditioning in every restaurant they eat in. So unbelievably arrogant to say, oh, the rest of the world can't have an air conditioner because it's bad for the climate. So it's just more fantasy, hypocritical fantasy, even worse. I don't have time to go all into this again, but our governor here, Jerry Brown, uh, for decades has subscribed to the environmentalist policy that small is beautiful. So that's why he wants to, he wants people to use less water in California. He wants to restore, he wants to eliminate dams so that rivers go back to their natural state. He wants there to be fewer people in California. He wants people to drive less, have less, eat less, use less. But always, always pay more. 1-888-900-3393. right, I want to come back with, uh, we'll tell you all about Trump coming to San Diego last Friday and how our police here did an amazing job. And we'll break down Hillary's speech she gave the other day in San Diego as well. It's next. Mike Slater shall spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater for Slater. America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Third hour. We're having a great weekend as well. Um, we got a lot more to do. I want. I want to, So we've had a lot of election stuff here in California this last week because uh, we vote on Tuesday. Now we're really excited. For it to be a Trump Cruise day on Tuesday, because uh, it was going to come down to California. Uh, alas, that didn't happen. So, kind of popped a balloon here of excitement. But now it looks like Bernie might win California, which would be pretty interesting too. Now, I want to tell you two facts about California voting, so you can be smarter than all your friends. One says that Bernie doesn't have a chance, and one says there's a glimmer of hope. So the first fact is seventy percent of California votes are by mail. 
And people, most people send those in already. 70% of the votes. So if Bernie has a last week burst, it's not that, it doesn't make that big of a difference because most people have already voted. You with me? Let's say there's a huge bombshell that Hillary, let's say Hillary goes to jail tomorrow. She still might win because most people already voted. They mailed in their ballot last week. That's 70% of people. So that hurts Bernie Sanders. Something that helps Bernie, though, or at least gives him a little glimmer of hope, is that since January, there's been 1.5 million new Democratic voters. People registering for the Democratic Party. 1.5 million. It's a lot. That's a 250% increase from the same time period in 2012. And obviously, most of that enthusiasm is going to go towards Bernie. So Bernie's going to have a lot more voters than... um, no, I ever expected. So that's a glimmer of hope for the burn, but uh, but we shall see. Now, coming up in the next segment, I want to talk about Trump giving a speech in San Diego last Friday. We'll tell you all about that, the police response, the protesters, all the rest. But Hillary was in town the other day. This was, when was this, Thursday? And she gave her big foreign policy speech. So because I was here in town, we took it live and I got to listen to an entire Hillary Clinton speech. I said, I got to listen. I had to listen to an entire Hillary Clinton speech uh, and picked up on a couple of things that I haven't noticed before because I can't listen to a whole speech of hers. It's your torture. Anyway, so her speech about foreign policy and against Trump, it was pretty much the same thing as Mitt Romney's speech against Donald Trump a few months ago. It was really just 43 minutes of listing reasons why Trump is no good. Now, that is not influential. It's fine, but you're not going to influence people doing that. You just won't. And here's why. So this is true for everyone. We have a rational part of our brain and we have an emotional part of our brain. The emotional brain is almost always in charge. That's, I mean, you, it way, and way more than anything. And if you're saying, no, I'm always make my decisions based off logic and reason. No, you don't. The emotional side of our brain is almost always in charge. Now, when Hillary gets up and gives a speech and lists reasons why Trump is no good, that appeals to the rational side of someone's brain. But that's not what persuades people. That's not what changes minds. And honestly, the last 40 seconds of Hillary's speech was really good. She told this really great story about how she's been to 120 different countries. And she always loves it when she's on the tarmac and she can see way off in the distance Air Force One with its white and, and it's white and it's blue and it has the United States of America blazing across the side and it, and it lands on the tarmac with the sun reflecting off the tail and, it, and it's just a beautiful sight and I'll never forget it. And, and one time I was standing next to someone and the person and blah, 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 and she told this like beautiful story and I was into it. I was, I was captivated by this story, but it was 33 seconds and no one was paying attention by the end. But if she could tell that, if she could keep that for 43 minutes, now you're talking. Because now you're appealing to the emotional side of a brain. So, 
if you're just listing reasons on the influence scale from one to 10, 10 being, I was super influential. Listing reasons is like a two, like one or two, even if they're really good reasons, no one's going to be influenced that way ever. We don't change our minds based off of reason and logic. Also, stories always win. I want you to imagine you're driving down the road and you see someone with a sign, a hitchhiker with a sign on the side of the road. And the sign says, Albuquerque, wherever. Think of of a city near you. What are the chances you're going to pick that guy up? Or not, don't, not even that. What is that? How does that make you feel? When you see a guy on the side of the road with a sign that says where he's going, the city he's going to. Eh. Now, what if you're driving down the road and you see a hitchhiker on the side of the road and he's holding up a sign and the sign says, going to grandmother's house for Christmas. <sighs> whoa, whoa. That's totally different. Why? Tells a story. Same guy going to the same place. But it's a story way more powerful. Why do you think Martin Luther King Jr. When he was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial didn't say, I have a three point plan. He said, I have a dream. Little white boys, little black boys playing on the playground. He told a story. Way more powerful, way more influential. Hillary Clinton got up there for 43 minutes, listed things. And it doesn't matter how good that list is, you're never going to influence anyone. Now, we talked about the gorilla earlier, right? How you got to shoot the gorilla. Now, I can sit there for 15 minutes and I can tell you all the logical reasons why you got to shoot the gorilla. And that, you know, it's not going to change anyone's mind. But if you can tell a quick story and put yourself, put that person in someone and then they're in the baby's shoes. I'd be like, hey, imagine you're in that gorilla pen. <laughs> imagine the gorilla's grabbing your leg. What would you want me to do to the gorilla? Right? So you see how the storytelling is totally different. So Hillary didn't do that, which is why it didn't influence anyone. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two. She's kind of she, she's taking an interesting approach. And I gotta give her credit because at least it requires thought. She's wrong, but at least it required some level of thought. So Trump says, what's his logo? What's Trump's slogan? All right. Everyone knows it. That's why it's so good. Make America great again. Hillary's thing is, whoa, America's already great. Because Donald Trump's over here saying, make America great again, as if America's not great. I think America is great. And we're going to make it better, blah, blah, blah. So you can almost see her next slogan. She's on slogan number seven. Might be something like already great. Which is pretty good. But it won't work. Because here's the deal. People genuinely feel in America like we have lost something. People feel like we're not as great as we used to be. Or as great as we could be. Every year they ask people... Are America's best days behind us or in front of us? And a record number of people, now a vast majority, I want to say it's like 58% of people think America's best days are behind us. So maybe Hillary's approach would work 
if people did think America's best days were in front of us going along this the path we're on right now. But that's not most people don't feel that. So that's why Make America Great Again will resonate much more with more people. Now, why? There's something called loss aversion. I don't know if we've ever mentioned it on this show, so let me do this briefly. People are way more motivated by avoiding loss than they are by achieving gain. There's two ways I like to put it simply. Um, If I told you that you had to do this task in order to not lose a dime, or you can do this task and you gain a dollar, most people will do whatever it takes to not lose a dime. Because people are more motivated by avoiding loss than they are by achieving gain. And you say, Slater, that doesn't make any sense because of course you're going to do what it takes to gain a dollar. You'll be better off. I know it makes sense. (laughs) It makes logical sense. It makes rational sense. But we're not rational people. We're emotional people and we hate losing things. Give you another example. What if I said, uh, what if your boss called you into work on Monday and said, hey, Charlie, you're doing a great job. Um, I'm going to give you a dollar an hour raise. I'll tell you, I asked this to my wife. I said, I said Steph, what if uh, boss gave you a dollar an hour? She'd say, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy. That'd be great. Uh, scale one to 10, how happy would you be? She said, oh, uh, three. Dollar an hour, three. I'd, that'd be a three on the happy scale. It's great. I said, all right, what if your boss called you in and said, uh, Steph, we have to lower your pay by a dollar an hour. She goes, I'd be furious. I'd be off the wall furious. Would you? I'd be, I'd be, I'd be so angry. How angry on a scale of one to 10? A 10. We hate loss way more than we love gain. Trump frames the entire debate and the entire uh, campaign in terms of loss, what we've lost who we used to be. And people hate that. People are motivated to do whatever it takes to avoid that loss. Loss aversion is a powerful force. So Hillary's message of America's already great. That's optimistic and that's fine. But not when the other guy, Trump, is pitching Man, America used to be great. Let's get it back again. That's way more powerful. Two more quick examples. In a marketing world, this is why uh, companies give you a 30-day money-back guarantee. Because they know that once you have something, it's very unlikely that you'll give it back. Because we hate loss aversion. Uh, Also, at a casino there's a certain likelihood that you'll make a first bet. Okay, so let's say um, the likelihood of you making your first bet at the blackjack table on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being really likely, 1 being not likely at all, let's say it's a a 4. Okay, So you're kind of likely to make your first bet at the casino, whatever. Your first bet, kind of likely. Your second bet, way more likely to make a second bet, like a 7 or an 8. Why? 
Because the first bet is to make money. The second bet is to avoid further losses. That's what motivates us. That's what motivates people to keep betting. Not to make money, but to avoid the loss. That's why Make America Great Again is so much more powerful. And that's why Trump's going to win in a landslide. So good effort from Hillary. Good effort. But uh, no, nah, not going to work. I hope that makes sense. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders, I may have to do this for two segments just because we have so much to say here, but uh, Donald Trump was in town on Friday, last Friday, not yesterday. Um, Police did a masterful job. Just incredible. I've never seen anything like it. It was amazing. We were in Costa Mesa, which is in Orange County, about a month ago, and it was a free-for-all. There were a ton of police and Secret Service, and there was one moment when we were with the angry, really angry Trump protesters, and they were across the street from the venue, and they ran ran to the venue, like ran, and ran up to the Trump supporters who were waiting in line, and things could have gotten out of control really fast, but there were about 20 police officers on horses who got between the two crowds and separated everyone and that was really good. <laughs> that was well done and really fun to watch and be a part of because it was they did so good. Um, but when that rally up in Costa Mesa ended, it was dark out. And they just let the Trump supporters out into the wolves. And people went to their cars and they were stuck. They became sitting ducks. Pro- protesters blocked the exits and they surrounded cars and slammed on the windows and smashed windows and shook the cars up and down, which is terrifying. Imagine you're in one of those cars. I just imagine my wife being in that car with this angry mob around me, smashing the window. I, that's terrifying. And there's nowhere you can go. And if you do move your car in any direction and you hit someone, hit someone, then you're going to get sued, right? So you're, you're, you got nothing. So I've seen it done really poorly. And then you saw San Jose, was it two nights ago? Like... I I don't want I wasn't there, so I don't want to say the cops did a, a bad job. I was, I didn't see it, but there was a lot of violence, and I heard a lot of news reporters, including MSNBC news reporters, say that people Trump supporters were getting beat up, and the cops were nowhere to be seen, or the cops weren't separating people, or it took a long time for them to get there. That was not the case in San Diego. San Diego Police Department. Their plan was to keep the two groups. Protesters and supporters as separated as possible. I was talking to one of the police officers. He said there were 600 officers there from 16 different branches. One guy, San Diego Police Department, said he was 12 years in the Marines. He did two tours in Iraq. He said this was one of the greatest operations he's ever seen or been a part of. That's amazing. One of the greatest operations he's ever been a part of. So here's how it worked. And I think this is worth describing because... 
this is should be textbook and like really should be studied at police academies for years to come. It was so well done. So Trump was speaking at the convention center. It's downtown right on the water. The police established two free speech zones, which they got in a bit of trouble for. I get it. All of San Diego is a free speech zone. All of the country. I, I get it. But I understand what they were trying to do with this. Before the speech started, before so it was at uh, 2 o'clock. Oh, by the way, I should say, we did our local show across the street from the convention center in a hotel from the top floor in a balcony looking down on all of this. So we had this awesome aerial view of everything that happened. And that was the first half. And then the second half, I was down on the ground. And I'll get to that in a second. But um, when the, before the speech started, the protesters were not in their zone. It's hard to describe if you don't quite know the city, but they were not they were about a block away. And the police, and I was up in the balcony at this point watching it, the police moved them into their zone somehow. I, I really don't know how they did it. But it was clearly intentional because people started flooding into this designated zone very quickly. It was like a floodgate was opened um, to get onto the street. It's called Harbor Drive. Harbor Drive goes right in front of the convention center. So they blocked off the street and they put all the protesters on Harbor Drive. Now, why did the police move them there? Because it put them in a pen, basically. So when the Trump speech ended, three-ish, everyone left the convention center, went the opposite direction, five blocks down the convention, five blocks in the other way, away from the protesters who were trapped in this pen. So the police kept everyone completely separated. There wasn't a chance of a confrontation. It was masterful. And again, I saw what happened in Costa Mesa a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure this is what happened in San Jose the other day. The speech is over. They go on the sidewalks. There's all the protesters, and just all heck breaks loose. Now, I should, it was very obvious, very obvious when we were there on the ground, standing amongst the police. We were right there amongst everything. We have a ton of videos on our Facebook page. That they were there to protect Trump supporters from Trump protesters. That was obvious. That was clearly the stated goal here. There was no even hint of pretension that we had to protect Trump protesters from Trump supporters. No, that, wasn't, that wasn't even a possibility. It was, we're going to keep these protesters away from the supporters because they're going to cause a lot of trouble. And they did a masterful job of it. Now... We got to take a break here, don't we? Oh, I got so much more to do. Um, some Trump supporters came back towards the protesters. We'll talk all about that next. This is Mike Slater. All right, we got a lot more to cover here about Trump in San Diego last Friday. So, did an amazing job keeping people separated but some trump supporters mostly kids like frat kids came back towards the protesters and some protesters trickled from their pen and our producer so i so when this happened i I looked around as people were exiting and the protesters were in their pen waving their mexican flags and throwing stuff at the police officers again we have a ton of videos on our facebook page you can search for the mike slater show on facebook a ton of videos um I left because I, I went and did a Fox News interview from a studio. It's like two blocks from where all this happened. So that took half an hour. 
So when I got back, our producer is underneath the Hard Rock Hotel, again, right across the street from the convention center, and things are getting crazy. And he's got a camera, and that's where he got a lot of footage of, his name's Miles, producer Miles, he got a lot of footage of protesters taking a veteran's Make America Great, a hat, great Again hat off his head and lighting it on fire. Got a video of someone throwing a skateboard at the back of a Trump supporter's head. Things got pretty bad. And that's when I got back there and I said, holy cow, like, things is getting ugly. So I get in the midst of it. And no, I should say this too. We talked to the police chief, Shelly Zimmerman, before the, the everything started. And she said that the police will act swiftly and decisively if anyone's causing trouble. And I thought, yeah, yeah, right. I've heard that before. So I'm standing in the middle of these protesters, again, outside of this, their designated protest area. And the riot police line up five deep and start pushing <laughs> and say, move, 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 every single move, move, getting people out of this courtyard area in front of all these restaurants and pushing people back into this free speech zone, back onto Harbor Drive, shoulder to shoulder. They got their batons and pushing people. Now, I'm five feet from the from the police. There's a bunch of protesters sitting on the ground. Now, do you remember a couple months ago? Maybe it was a year. It has been over a year ago, I bet. There were a bunch of kids protesting at some school. I want to say it was a University of California school somewhere. And they were blocking the entrance to the president's office or something. I don't know. And they wouldn't move. So a police officer walked up to him and pepper sprayed him all in the face. <laughs> Remember that video? Didn't look good. So I'm thinking, oh, well, here, here we go again. I mean, we have all these protesters sitting on the ground. What are these, what are these police officers going to do? I mean, the optics of this are going to be awful. Probably 30 protesters sitting on the ground. And again, I'm thinking, well, how are they going to get them up? Well, pretty easily. The, the cops just rolled up to him and said, get up, get up, and pulled him up, and then kept pushing him just like everyone else. And I'm watching this. I'm standing on top of a bench at this point, and I watched it and I said, oh, that's how. Like, that was, worked pretty easily, actually. So they got them all on Harbor Drive. Now, this is where it got even more fun. Once they got on Harbor Drive, there's nowhere the protesters could go except for east, back down the road. Now, East is where they came from. There's this part of town called Barrio Logan. It's sort of the, the, the Hispanic part of town. This is where the protesters started. Chicano Park marched down Harbor Drive to get to the protest, uh, to the convention center. So the police, they were six deep on Harbor Drive, so you weren't going west. The convention center was on one end, one side, but it was a couple feet off the ground and there was a fence, so you couldn't go that way. And you couldn't go the other side because there were trolley tracks there with a fence. So they were trapped. You could only go back east. So the riot police lined up, start marching east. (laughs) And everyone is, I got nowhere to go. So they're saying, move, move, move. And at first it was, you know, like people were resisting. And then it was pretty obvious that, well, we got nowhere to go here. So I guess we'll go. So... It was amazing to see. Now, they went maybe 500 yards, and a 
big group of the protesters are like, all right, we're out of here. And they ran back home. But there are maybe 50 people who weren't. They weren't leaving. So that's when the police parted. It was unbelievable to watch this. Again, that's why it was just masterful. One line. So there's two sides of the road, right? Harbor Drive, big road. Uh, two, maybe two lanes in each direction. Yeah, two lanes in each direction. So on one side, um, the parted, they parted. Armored vehicle drove to the front. And they went over the loudspeaker. This is an unlawful assembly. Go home right now or else you will be arrested. They report they did, said that twice in English, twice in Spanish. Kept moving forward. And peop, anyone who was too close to the officers, they would, about five officers would run real fast, like boom, like that, like, pew, like shoot off from the front lines, tackle the person, and then push them back into the line of people, into the line of police officers, and like swallow them whole. It was unreal to watch. I'm right there. I'm standing 10 feet from the police officers. I got my media pass. Well, so I had my media pass in my pocket because it, um, it broke off. So I had it in my pocket. So at one point, five police officers ran to me. And the front front guy grabbed my arm and took me to the ground. And I said, media, media, media. And I grabbed the thing in my pocket. And uh, they backed off. They're like, get out of here. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, I'm media. So they almost got me. But unbelievable to watch. So they pushed everyone back all the way down to the park, and the further back they got, the more people left. But then there were a couple people left who wanted to get arrested. So they kept antagonizing the officers. There were some people there who went to it, because this was all over the local news, right? The helicopters everywhere. And all. So people went to the police to antagonize them. They wanted to get arrested, and the police obliged and arrested them. Uh, there were a couple times, maybe three times, when the sheriff's guys would move to the front, they were wearing their gas masks, and they had pepper spray and pepper spray bullets, like paintballs, and they go pop, 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 like 10 shots, fire them at some people, uh, and then those people would go away, and you could smell it and all that stuff. Um, that may happen maybe three times. But they arrested everyone, and I've watched them. I was with them when they went all the way back to Cesar Chavez Parkway, and... On Cesar Chavez Parkway, they had a line of police um, motorcycles. So you weren't going past Cesar Chavez Parkway. And if you were at that point, if you were still on Harbor Drive, they just walked up to you and they arrested you. And I watched the very last person get arrested. And I was on the phone with our radio station broadcasting live throughout it all. And I said, well, that's it. (laughs) That's the end of that. that. There's no one left here. And I said, all right, I'm going home now. It's like 730. It's about to get dark and (laughs) I'm going to leave. They arrested every single person that was left. And that was it. Peaceful conclusion. Perfection. Absolute perfection. We got a video on Facebook of, I think this is more in the beginning of it all. And I'm just sort of saying, oh, here are the police here. Here are some more police over here. I don't know what's going to happen if the people, but I'm sort of describing, narrating what's happening, what the scene is. And I got this comment. Uh, As a proud former member of the San Diego Police Department, I can say that they are second to none when it comes to crowd, mob, and riot control. I was able to participate in the Rodney King riots on Mobile Field Force 2 and the 96th Republican National Convention on Mobile Field Force 3 at the convention center, the very place the above video was shot, SDPD, America's Finest. I can't stress enough how even just fascinating it was to be, to witness it. 
And what an amazing job they did. Just textbook. And that's why it's such a shame because this was last Friday and then I'm seeing what happened in San Jose the other day. And I don't know if maybe just the layout's different from where the speech was to everything. And I don't know if the logistics were more difficult. But I just wish... (laughs) That's why I keep saying this is textbook. Because every police department needs to watch how this was done. It was perfection. And then, of course, you have the obvious point that there were no Trump supporters arrested. In fact, we got a video of... Early. So I got there at 9 a.m. The speech was at, or I got there, yeah, 9 a.m. And the speech was at 2. So there were already probably three, 4,000 people lined up to get into the convention center um, well before the speech. And some of the police arrived. So we got video of police arriving and the Trump supporters giving them a round of applause. Applauding them. <laughs> it was very obvious that the police were not there to keep the Trump supporters under control. Which is how this whole thing's pitched. But I don't think it can be pitched that much longer that way. Because it's so obvious now. That Trump supporters are angry and violent. That, that lie can't continue. And again, when they were in San Jose, I'm watching these MSNBC reporters, CNN reporters, uh, say, this is out of control. And, and people are finally turning against the Trump rioters, especially the ones waving Mexican flags. It's amazing how conservatives were constantly vilified. But I don't think that can work anymore. Now, the very first moment that there's a riot or violence caused by a group of Trump supporters, I'll eat my words. But until then, it's going to require 600 police officers in every city that Trump goes to to keep the peace. And it's keeping the peace from the Trump protesters. And there's no excuse for it. I don't care what the mayor of San Jose says. We're blaming Trump for these protests. Give me a break. Actually, I want to talk about that in the next segment. I'll save that rant for the next segment. San Diego Police did an amazing job. Uh, again, all these videos are on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. We'll chat about San Jose next. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to... Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Read this comment on Huffington Post about a story uh, about what happened in San Jose. All the protesters. The people on the left are starting to get it. Quote, I deeply dislike Trump, but I hate the people who attack peaceful Trump supporters even more. Congratulations. You've made yourself look worse than Trump. You've only made Trump supporters victims. What a bunch of screw ups. You're only helping Trump's campaign, not hurting it. And you're going to screw up this election for the rest of us. I saw a uh, sign one of the protesters was holding it said something like this is what happens when you hate right right or something like that the gist was this violent response is justified because of things trump has said like we know that's not right about a year ago i talked to the first 
black city council member in San Diego. And a couple weeks after that, I talked to the first Asian city councilman in San Diego. And they both faced a lot of injustice growing up. And they both said, independent of each other, that they were never going to let other people's actions make them hate. They weren't going to let other people's ignorance make them angry. They weren't going to let other people have control over their emotions. They were in control of themselves and only they could decide to hate or to have anger. And they weren't going to give that over to anyone else. It's an incredibly powerful position to take. But these Trump protesters are so full of hate and rage and society condones it and says, oh, well, I mean, (laughs) listen, I mean, they were driven to go punch an egg or throw an egg in a woman's face as she's cornered by a bunch of men. Like that's fine. It's because I mean, I think just, what are you, what are you expecting to do? I don't know. Not do that because listen, if you can't control yourself to the point where you have to punch someone in the face and then be, oh, because I was just driven to do that. No, no, no. You're a weak person. If you can't channel your righteous anger into something equally righteously productive, then you're a weak person. You are immature and you are weak and you are not worthy of the freedoms afforded to you in America. If you can't go to a rally and act like an adult, then you will be treated like a child and you will be arrested and there will be no remorse for that. Especially people waving the Mexican flags. Now I'll end on this note. Um, now that I'm talking to people all across the country. So I'm trying to tell this to people in California. So California is about... 35, 40% Hispanic. Now, Hispanic is kind of a silly word that doesn't really mean anything, but a lot of Mexicans here in California and New, Me- and New Mexico and Arizona. But most of the country, it's like not. Midwest states are about 5% Hispanic. Southern states, 2%. Northeastern states, maybe 10% Hispanic. But most people across the country don't know any Mexicans. So when Trump says we have an illegal immigration problem, most, I mean, obviously it affects everywhere, but in a lot of places, it's kind of more of a concept than a reality because they don't see any Mexicans and they don't send their kids. Like if you live in, I don't know, North Dakota, you're not, you don't have classrooms that are mostly Hispanic, mostly Spanish speaking, right? Like we do here in California. So I'm trying to make the argument to people in California that you had a lot of people across the country who they understand the problem with immigration, illegal immigration, but eh, it's kind of more again out there. But when you see, you turn on the TV and you see people waving Mexican flags and saying, this is Mexico's land that you stole from us and go back to Europe. That's <laughs> like, what? Like, there's not a single person watching who says, hmm, that fine gentleman waving a Mexican flag with a bandana over his face is making a good point. So even more people across the country are going to run to Trump because all these protesters are just making people say, gosh, maybe Trump does have a point. And people are saying, well, I never saw that when I was a kid. And it ties back into the need to make America great again. So one reason why Trump's going to win in a landslide is because these Trump protesters are going to force people to run to Donald Trump. We're out of here. We'll see you next Saturday. Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.